What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris. And me, Catherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research. Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Excited to welcome two people to our conversation, um, Dr. Alejandra Arroyo and Dr. Stephanie Lancaster. Um, And we're going to be talking about something, we were talking about this before we started the recording, that we've heard countless times. You know, I think every chat group, every social media platform, every, anybody that's done like a networking event for a university program or anything, we've all heard the question, what is an OTD? How is it different than a master's? How's it different than a PhD? What are other options for advanced degrees like an EDD or a PPOTD? You know, so today we're just hoping to have a fun and casual conversation. We're a group of people with a bunch of different degrees. So let's talk about it. Um, Alejandra or Stephanie, would either of you like to give an introduction for who you are? Um, I'm Stephanie Lancaster, and I am a, um, a WashU alum from... 30 years ago, um, I um, have practiced as an OT since 1991. I hold a specialty certification as an assistive technology practitioner through RESNA and a certified aging in place specialist and a certified dementia practitioner. So those are some of the things I've kind of picked up over the last 30 years, but more relevant to this discussion, um, in 2013, I moved from full-time clinical practice into academia, and I held a bachelor's in OT because I'm, you know, part of that kind of crop from way back when that was what most people did. And so kind of the deal for me joining the faculty on a master's level program was that I would be um, clinical faculty while I worked on my master's. And so I got a master's degree in um, leadership and policy studies with an emphasis on adult education. And then I went straight into an EDD program, um, which is a doctorate in instruction and curricular leadership with an emphasis in instructional design and technology. That's a mouthful. And we'll kind of dig into that, I'm sure, today. Um, I am currently the vice chair of the board of directors for the coalition of OT practitioners for diversity. And also I host a podcast and have had, um, several WashU alums and lots of other OTs and OT adjacent practitioners, um, on there as a guest over the past four or five years. And it's called on the air. So thanks for having me here today. 
What next? I'm Alejandra. I recently graduated from Northern Arizona University with my doctorate in occupational therapy or OTD. Um, I got my bachelor's degree at University of Arizona in special ed and rehab. Um, did not get my master's and so that's pretty typical. You'll get your bachelor's first and then um, go into your entry level OTD and we'll go more into that. And then um, currently I'm working in inpatient rehab in Phoenix, Arizona in a neuro unit. And I'm also adjunct teaching um, at an outpatient clinic and have a couple other roles that I'll bring up later. Uh, but yeah, just more so like an advocacy and uh, yeah. And then trying to think what else. I'm kind of an Arizona person. I, was born, <laughs> I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. So all about the Arizona community and hopefully uh, growing more, I think, awareness and for diverse communities of what OT is. And I love that my OTD kind of lets me venture into that advocacy level. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. Cool. Thanks, both of you. And I forgot to mention, Kelly and I both have a PhD um, in research. And so either of us will be answering some questions about when we're getting in that area of the PhD kind of research end of things. But while you were both introducing yourselves, it made me think that maybe we should actually take one quick step back before talking about these doctorates. What is the difference, Stephanie, between a bachelor's in occupational therapy and a master's in occupational therapy? Well, that's throwing it way back. Um, so up until 2007, there was a dual entry option, meaning that people who wanted to become OT practitioners could either get a bachelor's in OT or a master's in OT. Um, either one would allow the person to sit for the NBCOT certification exam and then become an OT practitioner. And I actually, when I was at WashU, I was in a um, cohort that had so, uh, half the student, half of us were getting a bachelor's and half of us were getting a master's. And I know there's a lot of programs these days that kind of do the same thing with the master's and the entry level OTD. Um, back then, um, people who came into the master's program either already had a bachelor's degree in something else, um, or they had three years of coursework in something that related to OT, and they were doing a 3-2 program. So they were doing a two-year master's, and along the way, they would finish their bachelor's and also get a master's in OT. Um, and there was the, you know, it's funny because as a student, I don't think I really even thought about the distinction, except for that people in the master's program had more coursework than I did. The requirements were not that different in the program that I went to. Mainly those of us in the bachelor's program would end up doing more group projects um, and occasionally we would be required to have fewer sources in papers that we turned in um, than the people in the in the master's program. Um, so that was that was kind of the difference from back then. And that went away in um, in 2007 when the bachelor's was no longer valid for people as an entryway into the profession. I think that's really important for us to remember, though, because I, I know I still work with bachelor's trained OTs. And they're fantastic therapists. So a lot of that training sounds like it was pretty similar, just, you know, for maybe ex lots of reasons that changed to a master's. Yeah. Alejandra, could you give us a quick, a quick summary of what's, what you perceive as the difference between the master's and the OTD? 
Yeah, absolutely. So time-wise, typically a master's is two years, typically a doctorate is three years. They're both entry level, so you're both going to be walking into the clinic with similar clinical experience and clinical skills. But then doctorate, it's a year longer, so it's more time um, and it's more emphasized in advocacy, leadership, and research, a lot of emphasis in research. So, I mean, just with the additional year, you're going to have more classwork time to work on those things, and then you're going to have a lot more time both in your capstone project um, which is part of the doctoral uh, path. You have a capstone project and you really get to guide how what you want the emphasis being. So some doctoral students graduate with more advanced clinical skills. Some graduate with more advanced research skills. Um, you kind of get to determine uh, what you want that to look like. Thanks, Alejandra. Um, you want to take the next question, Kelly? Sure. Sorry, I All right. <laughs> So, well, I mean, you kind of touched a little bit on this, but, um, you know, I guess let's take it from there and talk about kind of the purpose of the degrees. And I think, um, so you told us a little bit about kind of OTD um, purpose, I think. So if you want to add anything there, Alejandro, but then maybe jump into the EDD and hear a little bit more about that. And then we can talk about the PhD. Yeah, I think what's really emphasized to students who are really deciding between whether a master's or a doctorate, it's, you know, it's the time, it's the tuition cost, it's, you know, just the logistics, but then it's also really emphasized to us, at least when I was in the process of choosing schools and applying, um, it was really emphasized on advocacy, leadership, and research. You know, it's, you have the opportunity to really grow your clinical skills, but I think it's kind of understood that clinical skills grow in the clinic. You know, it's going to grow hands-on. It's going to grow once you're in practice, but those things that take a little bit more time, you know, your writing skills, your leadership, your advocacy, um, we took a little bit more time learning about legislature and um, writing white papers and what does that look like um, going to your state legislature and um, also getting really involved on national and state committees and um, leadership, having a lot of presenters come and emphasize that. Um, and then, of course, research, you know, what what is our role in that and how can we step right out of school and and take part in research and it does give me the opportunity I I can assume that most schools wouldn't hire someone if they only had their masters for adjunct teaching. Um, I don't think anyone would, but it does give me the, the opportunity to kind of market myself as, well, I did have this opportunity to do research and do some writing and uh, I have that education and um, I was kind of able to sell myself on that point for, to, for adjunct teaching. Um, and I'm sure, you know, other people who have their entry level OTDs can do that as well. So as the kind of sole non-OTD um, on the call, it sounds like, you know, kind of really that um, purpose of moving the field beyond the clinic, right? Like thinking yes. outside of the clinic and moving the field in some direction outside of the clinical space. Yeah, um, but there is, um, and I know this, I don't know how for how long, but it's going to stay as dual entry. I know that that was already moved and for entry level practitioners, masters and doctorate, it's here to stay for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because there's so much misconception and misunderstanding and really even myths that are out, out there in the general public, including in our field of OT that um, I see a lot of rumors flying around on social media and, and just by word of mouth regularly about there being a requirement that everybody will have to have a doctorate. And I've even heard it said that, you know, people like me who have a bachelor's in OT 
people are saying that we're going to have to go back and get a doctorate in OT. And that's so not the case. There will always be a grandfathering in of people who are currently practicing. You're not going to have to, you know, get your license stripped away and then go back to school. So, but I see that like almost on a daily basis in some of the discussions in the Facebook pages and groups. That's a really good point, Stephanie. Um, that like nobody's going to have to go back. You're not going to lose your OT license, um, you know, over this. But could you, could you tell us a little bit about what an EDD is? Like, what's the purpose of an EDD? Who goes for one? Yes. What is an um, EDD? Maybe we should like spell that out even. <laughs> yeah. So it's a doctorate in education. Um, but I think, you know, a little bit similar to OT, there are some misunderstandings out there about it. So I, I'm so happy to have the opportunity to talk about it because I think it's a viable option and something that anybody who is an OT and wants to go back to school to specifically teach um, that's something they might want to consider and at least look at it as an option. So an EDD is a doctor of education. It is a professional degree designed for anyone who wants to pursue an educational leadership role. There is training in research and there's a research disserta dissertation requirement. Um, the focus though of that work is to address a problem of practice. That's a term we they use all the time in that program, problem of practice. And then working to learn the skills that it's gonna take to um, solve those complex problems that we see in the field. Um, usually those are problems related to education and or the scholarship of teaching and learning. Um, so because of that, an e the curriculum of an ADD program is focused on research and application of that research related to the scholarship of teaching and learning. That was a good summary. I think just because it's kind of quick, how long does an EDD take? Um, it, there, it typically involves about 60 credit hours. One thing to note is the vast majority of people enrolled in EDD programs already have experience at least for a little while and sometimes like for me for 20 years uh, or more out in the field and so we come into the program working full-time and most of us continue to work for full-time 40 hours or more a week in our regular jobs and so I say that because when I say 60 credits, you know, you can't just easily do the math and divide out how many you might, hours you might take a semester. It usually takes people about three to three and a half and sometimes four years to get an EDD. And that's taking six to nine hours a semester, three semesters a year. So with that summer semester also. Um, so three to four years, I would say. And, and as far as cost, because that's always something, you know, people need to look at too. Um, the cost depends, of course, on if you go to a public versus private institution and if you're in state or out of state and all of that. But um, it really ranges from the mid 20,000s up to the mid 50,000s. Um, I will tell you um, my degree specifically that I just finished in 2019 cost around $33,000. So um, interestingly, I just think to contrast, my PhD is in education. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. a difference then that, you know, I'm kind of hearing is that, um, so I was not looking at going into administration or curriculum or teaching in any way. And that is kind of one of the key differences between that EDD and that PhD is one is more kind of research focused in terms of um, going into a research career as opposed to a teaching or administration career. Um, so, so that's just one distinction. So there's lots of options um, depending on kind of what folks want to do when they come out. I think though, it sounds like timeline is relatively similar. You know, I think an education PhD is much like many that are, you know, in that four to six year range. Um, was that full time for you, Kelly? Yeah, I was five years full time. I also worked though, um, you know, so I came into my PhD after I had a private practice when I started my PhD. So I continued to work throughout. Uh, that's not advised though. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, their assumption is that because most, a lot of PhD programs are fully funded. Um, and I say fully funded, like, you know, I think it also depends on kind of your life circumstance, right? I was married with two kids. So fully funded wasn't really fully funded for me. Um, so it was kind of important to work. I think it was fully funded in that, like, if you can live on this meager stipend, then it's fully funded. And if not, you know, um, figure it out. So, yeah. I think that is something with a PhD, like as I was listening to the OTD, and to be honest, like I didn't know a lot about what an EDD was. Um, so I'm glad to learn from this too. Um, but like my PhD, it took four years and I got a stipend, so I didn't pay for it. But, you know, one thing that I always tell people that are thinking about it, like one, the purpose of a PhD is really to create scientists and people that are going to be leading research laboratories, you know, writing grants and writing papers and helping other people conduct research. And that's a main point. But it's not just like it it can sound exciting that you actually get paid to go to school, but it's like such a so much less than you make as a clinician. So the way that I thought about it was that, um, okay, I'm not paying for school, but my salary is getting cut in half um, from being a full-time clinician or maybe more than that. And you're not getting benefits like retirement or you know things like that either. So it, it really is a pay, a dramatic pay cut and um, with expectations outside of traditional working hours. Uh, I just wanted to add that. I feel like, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think that is really important, especially if somebody, you know, has a family or, and, or a mortgage or a rent, you know, we already have bills a lot of times when we're going back to get a doctorate, um, especially, um, you know, maybe not an entry level OTD, um, but some people may, um, I finished my EDD, um, going six or nine hours a semester in exactly three years. Um, it, it, and again, I was probably working 50 hours a week in my job. Um, it was a lot of work. I did not have, um, much of a social life and, um, my house probably wasn't as tidy as I'd like it to be. You know, I had to prioritize is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I didn't lose out on my salary at all. And, um, but however, the flip side of that was it costs money that it isn't funded. So, you know, you're writing the tuition check every semester. Alejandra, you want to chime in? How long did your OTD take? I was just asking, yeah, so yeah. an OTD, it is expected that it is full-time. You can do, you know, part-time jobs. Some people did full-time jobs, but that really was, it's a full-time 
school expectation, more like 50, 60 hours a week in school. And then some people would do part-time or full-time jobs. Um, but yeah, so each program, it's set for you. It's not like a PhD or, sorry, not, um, it's not like an EDD or other postdoc programs where you kind of choose how many credits you take. It's set for you. So um, they tell you your first year is going to be like this. You're going to take, I think I had one semester that was like 25 units. It was ridiculous. Um, and yeah, but we finished in 33 months um, at our program. And the tuition, yeah, similar to Stephanie, it wasn't paid for. Um, and unfortunately, because an OTD is relatively new, um, there's not a lot of, you know, like alumni to fund scholarships or grants. And um, that's why I think I always tell students that are interested in OTDs to look at if schools, if that program specifically has a grant, um, because even if the healthcare or, you know, that department offers scholarships, they're usually prioritized for other healthcare fields because they'll specify, you know, to nursing students, PA students, um, and so not OTD students. So um, some schools do have grants, and uh, right now uh, the HRSA grant is something that's been pretty prominent uh, for OTD students and, um, you know, able to get almost full tuition for some students, which is amazing, um, but that's pretty unheard of. That's not the norm. Most people have to take out pretty significant loans because um, when I was looking at it, the OTDs can really range, like Stephanie said, depending on public versus private, um, what state you go to, but I was seeing a range anywhere from like 80,000 to 150,000 uh, total for three years, three, three and a half years. It can be less though. I'll have to say <laughs> the program where I teach, it's it's significantly less than that okay. for in-state students. Um, and, you know, the program where I teach is a master's, but we, um, there are many doctoral OTD programs in our state that are really just six or nine months longer. So it, that depends too. One thing I wanted to add on, because I think this is important. Um, Alejandra, you mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes when you're in getting an OTD, you're thinking maybe I might want to teach one day. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it is in the um, accreditation standards that if someone wants to teach full time in a, an OTD program, they must hold a doctorate. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be a doctorate in OT as evidenced by me, um, <laughs> and lots of other people, um, but you do have to have a doctorate. And then the other thing with that is at least half of the fac the full-time faculty in an OTD program have to have a post-professional doctorate. So the entry-level doctorate would not count as that, um, for half the faculty. So there's that to consider. And then, um, you know, that's sometimes colleges or universities will specifically look for someone with what they call a research doctorate to fill a position and an EDD usually works for that and but a PhD always works for that but an OTD would not. It's a clinical doctorate, whether it's a post professional or an entry level degree. Mm -hmm. um, it's really complicated. There's a whole <laughs> lot of ins and outs to it. So I think that's another like complicated, confusing thing. Um, I don't know if either of you have much knowledge about what the post-professional or PPOTD is and like, what is the difference between a PPOTD and an OTD? Um, well, you have to already have experience in, in practice as an OT to get into a post-professional degree. You, you also already have to have 
a degree in OT. And the only degree that would work would be a master's degree because you're not allowed to get, if you already have an OTD, like say like Alejandra does, you, you're not going to get another OTD, even though it's a post-professional and a totally different program. So someone with an entry-level OTD is not eligible to go to a post-professional OTD program. Um, so they would just choose something else if they wanted to get um, a post-professional doctorate. Um, the focus of a, a post-professional OTD is to um, really develop specific expertise in a niche area. So it might be in, um, it could be in teaching, it could be in pediatrics, it could be in low vision, it could be in, you know, a lot of different things, just depending on the options by that particular program. Um, but you do have some choice in the different projects that you do and the um, the things that you're doing along the way with that, um, that you can use your background work to do. So that's that's a big difference too. But just to follow up really quickly, you were saying it would have to be someone with a master's, but if there are folks who, let's say, pre-2007 had that bachelor's, yes. Yes. they could so do You're right, I stand corrected. Yes, in fact, right. um, on the faculty where I work, um, we have about a third of our faculty have post-professional OTDs, a third of us have EDDs, and a third of us have PhDs, and just coincidentally, um, and both of the people with post-professional OTDs have bachelors in OT. Okay, um, awesome, thanks. I, you know, I think, I actually, that's really helpful because I don't know that I fully understood that distinction quite well myself. Um, so I'm wondering, I was going to ask a little bit about kind of more about that graduate education piece, but I'm also looking at the time and I, I want us to make sure we talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how we're using that training now. Um, so I think, you know, if there are highlights, I, I think, you know, when we think about um, the differences in these degrees, like I'm wondering if there are big differences in mentorship, um, kind of student level interactions, maybe we can talk about that first and then, and then jump into how we're using our training now. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just graduated six months ago. And <laughs> so um, definitely in the beginnings of, of how I'm using that or how I'm using my degree. But I think there was this understanding that, like I said, like we are entry level practitioners, you know, there is, um, you know, my colleagues or my peers who have their master's, I am coming into the situation, the setting with the same experience. Um, I feel like a benefit that I have is that I have experience and, and I was very lucky with my capstone project and what I was able to do and, and work in advocacy and, um, and leadership and, and, you know, education and whatnot. Um, I feel like I'm able to then put that into projects that we're starting, you know, initiatives that we're starting here and, and where I'm working or with adjunct teaching, with advocacy role outside of my work specifically, um, I'm able to put those things into practice. Um, mentorship, it's similar to a master's in that, you know, you're going to have your clinical educators, you're going to have, um, you know, your professors and, and research projects and whatnot. Um, we do have our capstone project, though, like I said, so we do have those mentors, um, that are meant to be, you know, long lasting relationships and, and it really is one-on-one -on -one, um, work. And sorry, I'm just trying to make sure I, I look at everything. Um, but yeah, I think for the OTD, um, 
I think for me, I am comparing it a lot to a master's in my mind, just because that's usually the comparison is, is OTD versus master's. And um, I think the way I'm using that education is I'm able to right now focus not only on my clinical skills, but I'm, I'm continually pushing forward my advocacy and my leadership opportunities um, from the get-go. I think I was very lucky. And after, as soon as I got my license, I've been, you know, I co-tad um, what Stephanie was talking about. We have chapters for students across the country, and I'm now the co-chair for the chapters across the country. I'm able to co-chair our DEI committee on our state um, association. Um, I'm really pushing those things forward just because I want to grow both. You know, I think that was really pushed to us as OTD students is pushing both of those. Push your clinical skills, push your advocacy skills. Um, and I, was, I got good practice as a student. So I'm just keeping that ball rolling, keeping that momentum. And, um, but yeah, so I, I do, I think it's funny that the skills that I developed in school are not reflecting on what my day-to-day -day looks like because four days a week I'm practicing in a clinic two days a week, I'm practicing uh, as an adjunct teacher and then mixing that in with all my other roles outside of practice. And it's a big mix of everything that's kind of going on right now. But I think it's a good mix and, and I feel prepared. I feel like it ties back to what you said kind of a while ago, Alejandra, like about that the OTD, like they're both clinical entry-level clinical degrees, but the OTD prepared you like in other ways for leadership or education or, or um, even a little bit of involvement in research. Yeah. Like it's for that other stuff. Yeah. And even just the juggling of that stuff, that's something that I see a difference in sometimes in people who have recently graduated with a master's level entry level or a doctoral entry level is just that because you have to do that so much on your capstone project that you, you're really having to kind of be your own, it, it's a lot of self-directed work and you have to be good at that or get good at it um, to be successful. And so you're already good at that when you enter the field. Yeah, I was thinking similarly, just listening to you talk about your week, right? Mm -hmm. Like the variety in that and that's such a distinction. So yeah, excellent. Stephanie, I know you've kind of like alluded to everything that you do, but with your, what are you doing now with your EDD? Um, well, I, right after I graduated with my EDD, um, I was in a more of a clinical faculty position and I moved into an assistant professor position and um, got an administrative appointment as the program director. Um, and, and the main thing that I do with that is I'm really in charge of the curriculum design which is really what I learned in the program. Um, An EDD is really practice-based. Um, so I would say a difference is, is that people in an EDD program don't really want to leverage the research that we do um, in, in a lab or, you know, in a theoretical basis as much as maybe some people with a PhD do. Um, people with an EDD are looking to do that research and then apply it in ways that positively impact their community or their organization's decision-making process. Um, so one thing that I think most people don't know about an EDD is that um, it's not just for people who want to go into education. Um, in fact, I in my EDD cohort of 20 people, there were only probably three or four of us who knew we wanted to keep working in education. The others went into corporate work 
where they're doing things like one girl works for Nike. And so she does all their internal like continuing ed for their employees and develops online modules. And a lot of people in my program ended up doing things like that. So there's a business component to it as well, but all application. Thanks, Stephanie. I feel like that's really helpful and it's really different than a PhD. Yeah. You want to talk about uh, what you're doing now, Kelly? Oh, yeah. Um, I, on the flip side, I do do, you know, think about research and, you know, utilizing my lab to both kind of understand and learn what's happening to actually do that research and then to think about interventions and implementation in a different way. Yeah, I um so, I, you know, I'm thinking about, kind of, so like my research, for example, is in chronic disease and academic outcomes for youth. So I'm thinking about, you know, A, how do we kind of collect the data and do that research on the back end in the lab, but then also how do we um, implement interventions and um, actually kind of bring those to schools, but in a different way, I think, than somebody with an EDD that's really thinking about applying those things to curriculum on the spot for, you know, um, a lot of folks with EDDs actually work in K-12 school districts doing it there, but also doing it in, in you know, kind of um, undergraduate and graduate level programs. One of the things I was thinking while I was just listening is kind of, you know, there's a place for everybody, right? So like most OD, OT programs are going to have a combination of all of us in different roles, and that's kind of what makes it work. Yeah, so, I don't know, Catherine, if you want to talk about no, it. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I feel like just thinking about it in the way that like Stephanie and Alejandra have put like what their week looks like. My week looks like a lot of time in front of my computer, but like flipping between either trying to revise papers um, or write a grant. That's like a bulk of my time is, is writing grants or papers, working on some level of those. Um, there's tons of revisions that go into that. And all of that, all of that writing is really deeply intertwined with mentorship. So it's me writing a new draft of something and sending it to people in my mentorship team and senior scientists getting feedback and incorporating it and doing that like iteratively for months um, and like doing some level of that. But then another part of my time is working with OT students and helping them be involved in some of my research projects or with other people um, that are collecting data for me. Um, and actually running some of my research projects. So that's, I think, what most, and I do, I do some clinical work, but that's like a side job, but um, yeah, with early intervention. But so like my time, like, you know, let me even just like look at a day. It like, I try to schedule my day out, but then, you know, there's meetings and then writing and then mentoring are kind of, and then clinical work. That's how my day, my weeks divides up somehow. have anything else. <laughs> so I um I want to actually go back and talk a little bit about graduate education just for a minute. Um, do we have time? I know Stephanie, you were going to tell us a little bit about your program. Um well yeah the main thing I wanted to say was that it's um there is a strong research component. It's about half qualitative and half quantitative research. Um, in that. And then the other half is really like program development. Um, some things that we did are um, we in one course we were assigned in teams of three to a company 
And then we were assigned to um, each team was assigned to a specific person within that company. And we had to really identify a problem in practice, something that was not going well because people didn't understand something or weren't doing something correctly. And so then we had to figure out by through those interviews and just brainstorming with the person affiliated with a company, what can we do from an educational curricular standpoint to fix that? Um, so that was an example. Lots of hands-on type things like that. Um, the whole program was online, which I th really actually has helped me so much during the pandemic because I can relate to being a totally online learner and I know what stinks about that and what's good about it too. Um, I know how not to make courses super boring because they're online because I went through some that were myself. Um, and so, you know, that's really the gist of it is there's um, that first year where you're just kind of learning what is instructional design, what are the tech tools that are being used and how do you keep up to date with that and then we go into identifying those problems of practice there's a lot of mentorship in that year and then that last year is identifying a problem um, ourselves in our own work that we want to address and just for an example my dissertation was on um, the use of a narrative account podcast to impact empathy levels in OT students. And so, you know, it was set up as a quantitative study and, um, you know, so that there was that research component, but it was very problem of practice application based. Awesome. I think if we could all just maybe share something that, um, we want students who are considering our degrees to know, or that would be useful. Um, yeah, I think, and I, I, you know, I guess I'll kick us off a little bit. I just was thinking, listening to you, I was thinking this earlier when you were talking also, Stephanie, just that um, for non-traditional students, the variety of options, right? And that you were mentioning that your, your program was all online, like there are options. And I think there's this transition away from um, there, you know, there are strict requirements about how much you should work and all of those things. But I think advocating for yourself and asking the questions and kind of pushing because there are a variety of student types now. So non-traditional can look a lot of different ways. I was a non-traditional student because I worked for 12 years first. Sounds like you worked for, you know, several years first. And so I think thinking about, you know, kind of your own circumstance and really creating what you need by asking the right questions and really advocating for yourself is important. Um, so, and then I'll just toss it to whoever wants to go next, something to just share. I think for me, um, again, I guess comparing OTD versus master's or even just in the whole spectrum of it, I think, you know, when choosing to be an entry-level practitioner as an OT, I think the beauty of the doctorate program is that, um, I'm still, I'm looking forward to, you know, how I'm going to grow in my clinical skills and, and how that's going to keep going. But I do feel like I've been given this advantage that, um, you know, even starting to consider different like PhD or, you know, postdoc programs already because um, I've been given the opportunity to, to really break down, you know, what are my goals in, in this and how am I going to create a bigger impact in our field on a national level, on a state level, um, and really start considering those options where I know um, some of my peers might not have 
you know, the ability to look at those things until much later in their practice and, and their clinical experience. Um, so I, I'm, I consider myself very lucky that I've been given that opportunity to kind of look at those opportunities and, and see what's kind of next. Not to be that person, but you know, like it's okay. What's next? You know, what what's the next step, and and how am I going to get to yeah, pushing the profession forward? Um, so yeah, I think that there's always that to consider. But again, I I don't think it's in the, an end all be all. You know, regardless of what path you end up choosing, if you have the right mentorship or at least the people that are you know who know you best and who are advocating for what you want to do and and helping you, you're going to find your way there one way or another. I think, like we all mentioned even if you want to go into education, you're going to need, be needed one way or another, regardless of what path you choose. So it's just more so finding a path and then starting. So yeah, not a bad place to start though. <laughs> That's an important point though, thinking about that next. Yeah. What's next. Yeah. Um, I think what, what I would say is that what, this is really what I did when I was deciding what type of doctorate to get is I made a spreadsheet. You could make, you know, index cards or whatever you wanted, but I would write it out and write down what is the cost of a specific program? You know, what, what do, do the courses look like? Dig into the curriculum and really look at the course descriptions. I don't know that a lot of people do that before they're actually in a program, but is it interesting to you or does it seem like it's so boring? You're not sure how you're going to stand it or, you know, maybe see if you can talk to a, a current student or a recent grad from that specific mm. program and ask how much contact, do, you know, do they, you have with the faculty and, you know, how many people are in the classes and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, what's the main outcome of that program? And they should probably have that listed on their website or at least be able to articulate it to you very well before you start the admissions process. Um, for, as far as the EDD, what I ended up finding out that really was the deciding factor for me is that people in the program that I went to um, each share a desire to transform the everyday environment and apply the lessons learned through research and evidence-based um, work to critical issues in the workplace. And I knew that I wanted to teach in an OT program, and I knew I didn't know a whole lot about teaching and curriculum design and it's so much like the OT process, the teaching process where you kind of, you know, back into what you want the end goal to be. And then you measure along the way and see if you need to revise that it just felt like the right fit. But it was through about a year of um, research and talking to people that I came to that conclusion. I think you just said so many important things, Stephanie, about like that preparatory work for de like deciding a graduate degree like any graduate degree. And like, I was thinking, I did a lot of similar things when I was thinking about a PhD, you know, who are the possible mentors? What are the required courses? Is there, you know, many PhDs actually don't have like a credit requirement because most of your time isn't spent in courses. It's spent doing research. And, um, but seeing like how many courses do they require? Are those courses interesting to you? <laughs> Um, do you like the potential mentors? Have you connected with them? I, I feel like all of those things you said about like talking to people currently in the program, or if it's a PhD talking about um, postdocs or people that are currently in the lab, 
for what their experience is like, because you're, you're really going to be spending a lot of time there. Um, I think that's really good advice. I guess I'll just throw in, I guess, like, think look, if you're looking at PhD programs, like doing just a little bit of homework about the funding too, because not, actually not all PhD programs are funded and some of them have different rules about the funding. Like they guarantee funding for one year and then you're supposed to find your own funding or some of them guarantee funding for four years or five years and then you might need to have your own funding. And like, and you know, they'll, or maybe even up to seven, a lot of PhD programs will say that the length is like four to seven years. Yeah, and some of them will, um, you have to, you know, find somebody that will agree to kind of sponsor you, right? Like faculty mm -hmm. in the department that will kind of serve as your, not just your mentor, but your financial sponsor <laughs> in a sense, like putting you on their grant. So that's an important point. Uh, I think Stephanie said this, right? And you did too, Catherine, like it's a cultural fit too, as much as it is an academic and professional fit. I think you talked to that a bit too, Alejandra, like. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think every program can be so different just because, you know, you're, you're so shaped by your faculty and your, just the culture that they've developed and their missions and goals for their own program. And um, it really is a fit. And I think that goes for OTDs as well as talking to current students and and typically, you know, um, admissions teams will have kind of contact people. Um, so yeah, just contacting somebody from the admissions team as well and kind of getting an idea of the culture and, and the expectations of students. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you for joining us today. Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist. And more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu. Send us your ideas for future episodes at demystifyingresearch at wustl.edu.